Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thank you, Shirley and Jill and the team for leading us in worship this morning. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here together today. Welcome to those of you that are joining us online. Glad that you can be with us. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to wrap up our apologetics series today, not um, apologising for being followers of Jesus, but giving us cause and reason to defend our faith. Uh, And one of the things that I want to highlight Uh, This verse isn't up there. I just wanted to uh, hit in there. John chapter 20, at the end of John chapter 20, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In his name. And I wanted to highlight for all of us, and whether you, uh, this is the first time that you've been here today or you've seen and heard all of the apologetic series, there's no point us being able to defend our faith and being able to have a conversation and engage people with our faith if we're not actually leading them into an encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ. No point having all the knowledge in the world and knowing our Bibles inside out if we're not actually connecting with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I wanted to highlight that as a verse, that we, these are written and we've, we've looked at how we know the Bible is true, how we knew that Jesus um, was alive and crucified and rose from the dead and all those different aspects. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's our goal, that people would know Jesus is the Christ and that by believing people would have life in his name. All right, so I want to set that up. Um, as we head into our word today. All right, let's fix this and pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place uh, again and again, continually, that you would uh, fill this room, you would fill our hearts and our minds, you would bring understanding and revelation to each and every one of us as we spend time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Uh, open up your Bibles to... Acts chapter 1, I know that we've been in there a fair bit um, over the course of this series, but it's just been, um, uh, I've just loved spending time in this particular part of the story unfolding as Jesus um, has risen from the dead, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, still a week after Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is still king. Yes and amen. Uh, And then Acts starts into the life, uh, the beginnings of the early church as Jesus farewells the disciples and leaves them a charge. So we're going to read through that um, in a minute uh, as we explore what it means to actually wait. So this is probably less of an apologetics um, session, a series teaching day. Uh, This is more um, the in-between. So if if you don't know, this is... um, this is the time in between Easter and, the Pente- and Pentecost, which is 50 days after Resurrection Sunday. Pentecost was a festival for uh, the um, 
Israelites before Jesus, um, but it was actually on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon those that were gathered as we're going to explore. So we're in this in-between. A lot is made these days, particularly of Lent, the lead up to Easter, um, and sometimes we forget the waiting um, that took place after the resurrection as the disciples were gathered. And that is exactly what we're going to look at today uh, as we're encouraged to be people uh, united in the name of Jesus. So here we go. Acts uh, chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And I read, there's a few words that stood out to me as I read that this week. And this is, remember, this is Luke writing to a good friend of his, Theophilus, giving him all the facts and figures about the life and times of Jesus Christ. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. Jesus did taught and gave instructions. Jesus is to be followed, believed and obeyed. It's a package deal. We can't believe Jesus and not obey him. We can't follow him and not believe him. He, ta- he did, he taught, he gave instructions. And we need to follow, believe and obey to be fully-fledged followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, continue on verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, uh, verse 8, so you will receive power. Uh, The word there, power, the Greek word is dynamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. So that kind of gives you the idea of the the force that uh, Jesus is expressing to them when he talks about the power they're going to receive when the Holy Spirit comes on them. Uh, witnesses, um, uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, the Greek word is actually where we get our, Greek, uh, our word martyr from. And we know that through, still today, there are people that are martyred for their faith. And so to be a martyr is to, to the fullest possible extent is to actually bear witness to the one that you're testifying about, even to the point of death. So here is Jesus saying, you're going to receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my witnesses even to the point of death. And here is the charge for them. Uh, It was a struggle for them because they were still trying to get their head around what the kingdom of God looked like, what the full realisation looked like to be a follower of Jesus for um, them to be a part of the kingdom. Because they asked the question in verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you at at this time 
going to step into your full, complete kingship and to restore Israel to the kingdom that it once was and overthrow the Roman rule and power and restore us to who we should be. They still have this idea of what it actually looks like for Jesus to be the king of kings. And Jesus, in his wonderful manner, said, "Uh, that's none of your business. Here's what you need to know. You'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. That would just be a little bit freaky, wouldn't it? You're standing there having a conversation with Jesus one second and the next second he's just like... Well, it would freak me out, but maybe you're more level-headed. That's fine. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, Mm -hmm. when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Because Jesus just ascended, man. Um, This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So then they're just, Jesus is gone and they're just leaning completely on the promises that he's given to them. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Same kind of area where they had been spending time with Jesus the night that he was betrayed. Like that's got to do something to you, doesn't it? And I think it speaks to the, the love and the grace of Jesus in that the same group of people that he took, like he shared in the Last Supper as we've talked about, they sung a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then they went further on into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is in the same kind of region. But this same group of people he shared Last Supper with, he's gone to this garden, they've basically abandoned him in his greatest hour of need. And now in this process of bringing them back into unity and letting them know that they are still his disciples, he still meets with them in that same place. He still meets with them in that same place. His grace and mercy is more overwhelming and more abounding than we can possibly understand. Uh, Called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we're going to, um, later on, we'll come back and look at even people that were waiting. The relationship with Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is a lot of waiting. And that is completely uh, becoming more and more countercultural in the world that we live in. Our world is so now. One of the things, when, when we teach, when we preach, we try and um, think about the best ways to illustrate things for you. And I know that I've done it numerous times, but the way that I thought the best way to demonstrate this for you all today was through coffee. So I've got some assistants going to help me. Ladies, if you can, first, I need this table up here. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I cannot do two things at once. I cannot make a cup of tea and hold a conversation. So if this actually works, this will be the hand of the Lord. You think I'm joking. Annabelle, please go and fill that with boiling water, darling. Thank you. Now, who drinks coffee? Put your hand up if you drink coffee. All right, put your hand down. Put your hand down if you don't drink coffee. 
Just a couple. Yeah, we'll pray for you afterwards. That's fine. <laughs> so that's a terrible joke, isn't it? Now, there, you, everybody would know there are numerous ways to have coffee. And you're looking at this thinking, what on earth? Now, I have heard this described as extravagant. Now, who only drinks instant coffee? Just a few. Wow, you should. People are like, is it okay to put my hand up? I'm not sure. Is that. Am I safe? It's, it's truly okay. I know people that only drink instant coffee. I've got instant coffee here. Did you, you only drink instant coffee, Sue? You've never tried like an espresso? You just don't like it. You don't like it too strong? Well, Beck will make you a weak espresso afterwards. It will change your life. I have been called a coffee snob in my life. My co-workers actually call me a coffee snob. I think that's a, a stretch too far. Now, look, this is instant coffee. This, you don't normally make it in a glass. I'm just adding to the visual for you. You'll be like, where is this going? One minute we're talking about the disciples, and now we're talking about coffee. It will all work out. This is instant coffee. Now, this is one of the reasons, baby, I'll need you too. Thank you so much. Here are my lovely assistants today helping me out. All right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Am I going to saw one in half? That would be amazing. That would be three things at once, Rick. That's not going to work at all. Baby, can you weigh out? All right. Now, this is instant coffee. I can't tell you when this was grown. I can't tell you where it was grown. I can't tell you when it was picked. I can't tell you anything about it except it comes in a jar. Now, look, I love you if this is all you drink. That's fine. No, no judgment, no offense. And this, like this is instant coffee in a heartbeat. All right. I'm bored. Right, now, obviously most of you would know that's how you make instant coffee. Doesn't even... Would you drink that? <laughs> All right. This, this is the world. All right? It's like, we want it now. Like... Another, another comparison for you is, um, have you all have you heard of Afterpay and ZipPay and all those payment options? All right. Um, they're, they're called Buy Now, Pay Later. And they're all new. They're all less than a decade old. Afterpay itself is now a $10 billion company. $10 billion in sales in the last financial year. $10 billion. It's like lay-by in reverse if you don't know what it is. Because we want stuff now. Like, we're, we're the buy now, pay later, we're the microwave, we're the instant coffee, we want it now. If we have to wait, no, I don't have to wait, I'll go somewhere else, thank you very much. All right, so that's the instant coffee. Now, those that have been redeemed drink real coffee. Is that 20 grams? Yeah. That's, all right, so you'll have to grind that out. All right, now you can, there's numerous ways. My other thing is, either you, either you do it, Either you go through the process or somebody else has actually gone through the process for you. Some of you are looking at this thinking, are you doing this every time you want to drink coffee? No. Again, if you come to our house, there's numerous ways of having coffee. It's really sad, but it's very exciting. Um, this is probably the slowest way of grinding coffee. Now, this is one of my favorite ways, just because it looks so pretty. Baby, can you take that out, please? Isn't this funny? You're having fun? It's just as well I read from the Bible, otherwise people would be checking out already. So, 
Uh, this is a Chemex, all right? So we've got our instant coffee. That's ready to go. Sue, would you like a coffee, love? You can stay there. I'll bring it. Annabelle, can you just pass that to Sue? You can have that, all right? Drink it while it's hot. Sorry if you want some milk. Now, this has been freeze-dried. This has been uh, frozen and then heated uh, to within an inch of its life and then pushed further. I shouldn't have done that because that's actually a jar of church coffee. I'll get rid of it. It's all right. All right. This here is what we call a Chemex. This is almost the slowest way you can make coffee. It's not the slowest. There's actually slower ways. Um, I've heard somebody describe this process as extravagant. That's one word for it. But I actually like this process because it helps me slow down. All right, so we've got a filter paper here. Oh, I'm going to be stuck because I have to get rid of this mess in a minute. Thank you, darling. Uh, no, not for now. Thank you so much. I'll let you know if I change my mind, which is possible. All right, so this is a Chemex, uh, surprisingly invented by a chemist. All right. So I'm, yeah, I'm clearly haven't thought all of this through because now I've got to get rid of that water, but that's okay. So you have to heat the carafe. Is anyone ready for their coffee yet? See, and I have to weigh it out. And some of the reason that we don't like this process is it takes too long. Some people are like, is my coffee coming? Thank you, darling. When do I actually get my coffee? And there's checks and balances all along the way, and you have to wait, all right? So I've weighed out my coffee. And now you'll love this bit. I don't know if, how, many of this, how many of you actually know this. All right, so I've put in a bit of water. Now I've got to let that sit for 30 seconds to let it bloom. <laughs> I am not kidding you. That is the technical term. It is now blooming. And if you could smell it, mmm, delicious. I tell you, I'll find nearly any way to get coffee into a sermon if it means I can drink it while I'm preaching, so we're fine here. That has to sit there for 30 seconds. Now, what's happened is the water's actually going down through that coffee and letting all the air escape through it because now I get to the next part of the process where I pour this slowly. This is what's called a pour-over. Very slowly, and then I fill that up. So then we get to a ratio of coffee to water, 1 to 15. And you're like... You have way too much time on your hands, Rissen. I'm like, no, this is therapy for me right here. This is uh, part of what keeps me sane. Between this and golf, you'll be thankful I drink coffee. All right, so this is going down and this is taking time. And some of you already, by now, you've already left the cafe and you're like, I'm going somewhere else. Give me a microwave. I'm out. I'm done. This is way too slow. But this is the process that we're actually invited into as followers of Jesus. And we don't all like it because we know we can go and get a jar or something else. We can get all our boxes ticked. We can have our needs met some other way that is almost instant. Because in this, somebody else has put in the time, the effort, the money and the work to actually get the end result. Whereas as a follower of Jesus, I have to go through a process. Sometimes it actually involves, you know, some pain and heartache and some pressure. And we don't necessarily like the pressure that we're under. 
And sometimes there's a bit of uh, heat as we go through some of the fires that we cop as being a follower of Jesus and we don't like the heat. And so we look for ways that we might be able to avoid it. And sometimes a lot of us, we just don't like taking time. Like Jill said, you know, two minutes of silence. Jill, I don't think it's actually just for children. I think it's a lot of people. Two minutes of silence feels like an eternity. Two minutes of watching the guy up the front make coffee seems like an eternity, probably. All right, so that will just drip down. Look at it. Like, isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Raynard's like, yeah, this is fantastic. See, nice, beautiful colour, nice, beautiful, beautiful fragrance. I'm sorry you can't smell it. Can you smell it? You can smell it? Is it good, Steve? Which smells better, this or the instant coffee? No. How's the coffee, Sue? A bit strong? I'm sorry, Sue, I only know how to make coffee one way. We want the end result. We want... Like the disciples, they were like, Jesus, when's the kingdom going to be restored? Is it now? Is it next week? Is it next month? And Jesus is like, none of your business. Not for you to know. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait until I give you the power. And so the disciples went to the upper room and they waited but the other part that I, want to, that I want to highlight through all of this is that like, for me to make instant coffee, like it's the coffee in the glass, the mug, whatever, fill it with water, you are done. There is no process. There's no effort. There's no energy. There's no sacrifice even. If I want to make this, and it probably took me longer because I'm trying to do two things at once, um, thank you, Jesus, that we made it through, then... Uh, that, like, I've got to put effort in, and I've got to think about it, and I've got to make sure that I don't drop anything. And so far, I haven't. And then you end up with the beautiful end result. In this case, it's delicious coffee. Now, Chemex, because it goes through the filter paper, it will give you a, a lighter... You'd probably like this, Sue. It's a bit of a lighter flavour. These beans... Mm. See, that looks much better than the instant coffee. Probably, some of you would be like, I cannot tell the difference. It both looks like dirt water. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. Sue, would you like to try the comparison? <laughs> Steve, would you like to try the Chemex? You have to, mate. As chair of the elders, it's your responsibility. You'd probably be almost drinkable straight away. I know this is hot water, but that will do. There's a process that comes, and there's actually a fruit that comes from the process of waiting. And even in that, there's actually work that has to be done while we wait. We can't just sit idly and think the work's done. The disciples didn't go to the upper room. They didn't just wait and go, well, we'll just go about our business until Jesus shows up. Whatever that power looks like when we receive the Holy Spirit. Again, I think their minds must have boggled at that in terms of what does that actually look like? They've watched the guy, they've been with him for three and a half years, watched him 
float up into heaven, and now he's talking about receiving the power from the Holy Spirit. Like their minds must have boggled at what that would look like. Yet the thing that I love about the disciples, and sometimes I think we can hang it on them because of their doubt, because of their betrayal, and don't be fooled, all of us would have done the same thing and been in the same situation, is that this was the time that they were super-duper obedient. That they stuck it out, that they lent completely into the word that Jesus gave them. And that they went to the upper room and they waited. But I want to highlight how they waited. Uh, they were in the upper room. I think we've got to go. Chapter 2. Thanks, Gary. They chose uh, somebody to take the place of Judas as you read on through chapter 1. And then chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So they've added on um, some other people. So now there's about 120 people gathered. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Oh, that's what I want to highlight. They were spending their time together in prayer and fellowship, and they did not leave that mindset. And what we have there is that um, they were all together in one place. We kind of lose something in the English. The words there, all together, are actually, um, some translations will say of one mind, others will say of one accord. Um, but it's actually almost, the root words suggest something of, they were one mind in passionately moving forward, in a passionate pursuit. It's not just they were hanging out together, like we're all together. They were single-mindedly focused as a group on praying to their Father in heaven, waiting for this power to fall on them. Single-mindedly. And I want to I highlight something here. Like most of us would know about... Um, as, as an example, I'll use it as an example, um, Brian and Bobby Houston leading the Hillsong Church uh, and a few things that, you know, um, that, you know they've, they've left leading that church um, and there's been a bit of a mess and like, I don't know all the ins and outs about what's happened. None of us do. Like most of us get it from media. Um, I saw on YouTube, there's a video... Um, uh, like it's by Christians, the, the channel name, I don't want to even tell you what it is because don't go and watch it, it's a waste of time. Um, it has more than 250,000 views and the title of the video is What's, What Went Wrong at Hillsong? And what grieves my heart, like it's sad what happened for Brian and Bobby, like as, as people, as children of God, it's sad what happened for them and that they've now left leadership in that church and it's sad what's happening for Hillsong. Hillsong, whether you like Hillsong or not, they are a part of the bride of Christ. And not one of us, not any of us in this room, nobody posting on YouTube or social media has the right to actually make time and money out of dragging them through the mud. And if we, we, I, we as a community, as the bride of Christ, are crying out for a great move of God. 
And I think there'd be a greater move of God if we were actually together in one accord as the bride of Christ and stopped posted videos and social media and just spreading the word on the internet about what everybody else has done wrong. You and I do not have a right to actually highlight what one of our brothers and sisters has done wrong, what another church community on the road has done wrong, whatever they've done. We're not in direct relationship with them. What does it look like for us as the Horsham Church of Christ, but also as the global church with the capital C, as the bride of Christ, to actually be in one accord? And there's so many different churches and denominations and church groups and movements and streams and whatever you want to call them in communities across the world that have all got different flavours and different bents and some of us like this sort of coffee and some of us like that sort of coffee and some of us like that sort of music and some of us like that sort of coffee. We need to be united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ because that is what will bring about his return. Don't watch the stuff that talks about what's wrong with Hillsong, what's wrong with Bethel, what's wrong with Grace Church, what's wrong with any church. Listen, as soon as the church gets big and popular, it's one of the things that, like, we're not big and popular, but we kind of ask the question going on the internet, like, how big does this go? We're really mindful of it because as soon as you get popular on the internet, you start having more and more people that can drag you through the mud. And it's, it is ungodly, unbiblical, it is borderline demonic. And I want to encourage us as a church community, like with the people that we are in relationship in, that if you see your brother or sister stumble or fall, or you know that they messed up or they have sin in their life, as a follower of Jesus, we have a biblical mandate from Jesus himself to not actually talk about it with anybody else, but to talk about it with the person concerned. Matthew 18, go read it. That is what we're actually called to do. And I've said it from here before. You've got a problem with me? Don't talk about it with anybody else. You come and talk about it with me. If I don't respond, then you get some witnesses. If it's still not worked out, then we take it to the church. Is that... We're all on the same page? That was a little tangent, but I felt like I needed to just... Man, we need to actually be building one another up. And not faking it till we make it, but actually supporting and encouraging one another and not dragging other people down. Even the way that we talk about different people that have um, had moral failures. And put your hand up if you've never failed in your life. No, we're all in this together. I don't even know where I was now. Waiting. Waiting. Steve, how was the coffee, mate? Yes. There we go. Worth the wait. It'll be a little bit cold. Now, if you're absolutely curious as to how what this is like, I'll make it for you one day. But you'll have to make a booking. And you're like, oh, that is good. That's real good. Hmm. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. I'm actually surprised how good that is. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Pardon? It's what happens when you wait. 
I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jesus' time frame and our time frame is not the same thing. And he has an eternal perspective that is far beyond what we can possibly comprehend. And as I was getting ready for today, I was kind of mind, I know we've got multiple generations in this church, but I was kind of mindful of very, two very distinct generations. I'm aware of a generation that, to a large part, like if you didn't have it, but you wanted it, you didn't get it. No credit cards, no lay-by. You just waited and waited. And sometimes you just went without. That's almost a foreign concept these days. Go without? No, I can use some way to get it, surely. Compared to another generation that are like, I'll have it now. I'll get it now. I, I, think, I think there's aspects of both that we can actually walk out in our Christian lifestyle, in our Christian relationship, in our Christian life, in our relationship with Jesus. There, there is a now and a not yet of the kingdom. There is the promise of eternal life that we are living out in the here and now. But there's a promise that is not yet, that we are walking out. That we are new creations, but we're still, and we're saved, but we're still being saved. We're transformed, but we're being transformed. We go from glory to glory as we seek his face. Waiting is absolutely biblical. Think about these people Abraham. Abraham told when he was fatherless that he would be the father of nations. Like, you don't go from fatherless to the father of nations overnight. Not even Abraham could comprehend what that looked like. Jacob waited. Joseph. Moses. 40-year apprenticeship in the desert, and then another, tending sheep, and then another 40 years leading the people of God through the desert. That man was patient. David, from being anointed as king, to actually stepping into the throne, taking the place, more than a decade of waiting. Daniel, Daniel, you know, one of our, one of our Sunday school lessons is Daniel in the lion's den. We're going to do more about the life of Daniel. The man lived for more than 70 years, serving four enemy kings, one after the other, waiting for f- the fulfillment of the prophetic word that said these people will be returned to their homeland. Mary. What about Mary? A few times Luke, I think, is the, one, the main one that highlights and says, you know, Mary pondered these things in her heart. Mary treasured these things in her heart. Like she goes from being a teenage girl engaged to Joseph and then has this incredible life becoming the mother of Jesus. Imagine Mary. She's one of the ones that's in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. So she must be late 40s by that time, can you imagine all the waiting that she's done in her life? Waiting and watching her son stepping into her, his ministry and his call. The nation of Israel waiting for their Messiah. All these people waiting. Turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to kind of pedal back in the story and highlight a couple of people that were excellent waiters but waited with intention, waited with purpose. 
waited with their eyes fixed on the prize. Luke chapter 2, is that what I said? Uh, Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, um, the the help, the comfort of Israel. For a long time I read that like the consolation prize, that's not quite what it means. Uh, He was waiting for the, the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So here is a man that the Holy Spirit had come upon. And this is before the life and times of Jesus. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Can you see this relationship and this leaning on the Holy Spirit and being guided in how he was walking out his life? Like We're just seeing a very small snippet of the life and times of Simeon. But here he was, the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him about the Christ. And then the Holy Spirit led him to go into the temple courts at this time. Complete reliance on the Holy Spirit, leaning into what the Spirit is saying. When the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Man, Simeon is phenomenal. That the Holy Spirit was, on, was upon him and he was obedient. And here it feels like the fulfillment of his life mission is for him to be in the courts when Jesus comes in, when, he, when he, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus in as they're instructed to do by law, they're still under the old covenant. And Simeon's life goal is to be there at that moment when baby Jesus is brought into the temples. For him to hold the hope of the world in his arms, to prophesy over him and then to bring comfort and maybe even a warning to Mary about what was to come. Like that is focused. That is waiting with purpose beyond belief. That he would wait. As he says, uh, he prays, Sovereign Lord, in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss, or as you promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon's prayer is like, I'm done. I've seen Jesus. I can go now. I've waited. I've waited. And I've seen the promise fulfilled. Verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Some translations say she was was a widow for 84 years. So she, uh, well in her 90s. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
I mean, that's like more than eight decades. And it sounds like most of those, if not all of those, she's spent waiting with intent and with purpose, fasting and praying, waiting to see the redemption, waiting to meet the Redeemer. Like, not all of us are called to be, live the single life for eight decades. I mean, no, who would sign up for that? Eight decades, fasting and praying, just waiting for Jesus. I mean, if you knew if you knew that you got to meet Jesus at the end of it, maybe we would. But what does it look like to actually be laid down lovers of Jesus to the point that we would just have this single-minded focus where the things of this world actually become secondary as we fix our eyes, our hearts, our minds on him and we all with one accord as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, wait with intent and with purpose to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And maybe even if we don't get to see it in our lifetime, will we actually be intentional enough to lay a foundation that the generations to come after us can build upon it so that they can actually see the glory of the Lord fill the earth as he promised? Can we be those people that will wait with intent and with purpose, with honour and respect, for our brothers and sisters that maybe don't go so well, maybe have shortcomings and shortfalls and moral failures, can we be the people that actually pick them up and say, okay, not to cover over their sins, not to ignore their sins, to have healthy consequences and checks and balances in places we need to, but can we actually be the global body and bride of Christ that say we will not stop praying we will not stop seeking, we will not stop waiting until we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.